Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 259 for the 8th of March, 2017. I'm Chester Wisniewski, once again here with Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Duck. Hello, Chester. Here in England, we have spring. I gather you have uh, still have snow. And while the Calgaryites will be laughing at you on the grounds that it's supposed to snow until October or something, that's quite rare for you lot, isn't it, over in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, it, it is very rare here in Vancouver. And uh, sadly, that means we also have, you know, a lot of other unstable things like avalanches. So uh, while the mountains are pretty, uh, they, they are not terribly safe this time of year. And uh, we're coming into uh, our B-Sides event here in Vancouver next week in CanSec West. And a lot of uh, security researchers around the world use this as an excuse to come out and uh, uh, ski in Vancouver. And we welcome them and we hope they have a nice time skiing. But if you are one of those security professionals, uh, beware. The mountains can be dangerous this time of year. More dangerous than the internet even. Oh, I don't know about that. That that that, that that's a pretty tall order. Um, but but well, let's start with that. How dangerous are things really? Uh, we haven't been on the air in two or three weeks now, and uh, it's been a, it's been a pretty hectic time around here. We're hoping to get more regular with the chat chats. But while we were away, this Shaw One collision occurred. I don't think most people spend as much time thinking about uh, hashes or cryptographic hashes as you and I probably do. Maybe we can kind of boil this down because I've read uh, articles that uh, suggest that the sky is falling on one end of the spectrum. Oh, my God, Shaw's broken and all the systems are going to no longer function correctly all the way to uh, nothing to worry about here. Move along. Um, where are we on that spectrum? If you haven't been following the story, the idea is that SHA-1 is a cryptographic hash for which it is supposed to be computationally infeasible that you could come up within, certainly within your own lifetime, in fact, within thousands of years, with two messages that have the same hash. That's not the same as having a message that has a known hash. That's much harder. It's generating two messages that happen to look as though they're the same from a fingerprint point of view. That's not supposed to happen. And if you've got that resistance, then the algorithm does a good job. And unfortunately, despite the fact that this should take 100,000 years or whatever, uh, researchers at Google and at CWI in Amsterdam managed to create, deliberately create two colliding files within one year. So everyone has been putting off shifting away from SHA-1 because we're kind of expecting that it's reaching the end of its life. This, if you like, is what you might call the, the disproof of the pudding. Right. And so, you know, when you're talking about uh, a SHA-1 hash, right, it's it's a 160-bit hash, which arguably, if you had to brute force the whole thing, means you'd have to do two to the 160 computations, except with a birthday attack, we assume that the strength of a hash of that strength is about two to the 80, correct? When you get a big bucket of messages and you want to get two of them that collide, any two can match. So the problem is approximately the size of the square root of finding a specific hash. So as you say, instead of 2 to the power 160, you've got to do 2 to the power 80 calculations. It should still take you the rest of your life and far, far beyond. But Google and the CWI guys, A, found a trick that let them speed things up. And B, let's face it, as we all know, cryptographic attacks only ever get faster because CPUs and GPUs only ever get faster. And experts have been warning for years, stop using SHA-1, 
Google Chrome, I think, in January stopped accepting SHA-1 based web certificates, TLS certificates. Firefox will soon do the same. But it seems that elsewhere in the world, there have been quite a lot of people who have been dragging their feet and they've kind of been waiting for this collision to happen before they admitted that there was a potential problem with this algorithm. Right. And, and I guess the important part here is that, of course, two to the 80 should be the easiest that it can be. And in fact, it looks like theoretically, it's more like two to the 53 to two to the 57. So it's significantly weaker than we even expected, which means that at least in the case with Google, uh, it costs about uh, theoretically maybe $100,000 in computing power to create that collision that they created. And, and that's getting a little bit too affordable for comfort. So come with me to this fantasy world that I have and in this in this little universe inside of my head Max can actually get malware. Oh don't be silly. That's ludicrous. So if you can come down that path with me, I've heard that there's such a thing as Mac ransomware and uh, uh is it file code I think and and there's there's a I love it when the bad guys get it wrong and sadly most victims probably never realize that the bad guys get it wrong and they still panic and they still might go through all the machinations involved with a, a ransomware attack. But the good news is for naked security readers and, and for chat chat listeners, we do know that it's broken. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about that. Yes, that we've had a few uh, examples of Mac ransomware over the years. Only a handful, fortunately. So Macs can get ransomware. They do get ransomware, but it hasn't become the pestilence that it has in the Windows world. And what the file code ransomware did probably seemed like a clever idea for the programmer, is that rather than using some mixture of AES and RSA or some kind of well-known uh, symmetric and public key encryption systems, uh, he decided to use zip encryption. PKware or PKZip encryption was invented oh, more than 20 years ago. Fortunately, it is cryptographically defective. So there are tools out there which can crack it. So all of your files turn into zip files that are protected with a password. Uh, we showed on Naked Security how you can go in and recover them and then even write a little script that will automate that and go and recover them all. The cracking on our test Mac took 42 seconds. So that's, uh, that's, that, that's the happy ending that, that the file code ransomware had. But it's a good reminder that, yes, Macs do get malware, that you won't always see an administrator password prompt, uh, that, you know, software can just run as you and do anything you can do. And that makes ransomware perfectly possible on just about every system that there is. Well, it's important to remember that, you know, he may not have any intention of giving your files back at all. He might just be using zip to scrambulate them. And calling it a day doesn't care if he has the key. As long as you pay the ransom, he doesn't have to give you a key. <laughs> now, what would you say if I said uh, we were going to combine uh, smartphone app, uh, stuffed animal, and voicemail? It sounds like a winning combination. But it hasn't worked out so well for cloud pets. And uh, Oh, no, it has not. Yeah, many people probably heard about this story in the last uh, week or so. But it does bring up some interesting issues to me about consumer protection and privacy and things. I mean, in summary, uh, this is a stuffed animal toy that you can buy at toy stores and it allows a child to uh, press a button, record a message for grandma and grandpa, I love you, whatever, push the button. And then that message gets, of course, stored up in the cloud in a database somewhere 
And then uh, if you're the authorized uh, owner and have the app on your iPhone or your Android device, you authenticate to that cloud service and can play back the message and maybe leave a message for the child back. Oh, we love you too, honey. And then the, the toy will play the recorded message back to the child. I'm not sure who needed this. Uh, like, I mean, like many IOT things, I'm a little puzzled as to like who really needed the, the smart, uh, egg tray or the smart thermometer, uh, body temperature thermometer anyway, uh, as opposed to one that maybe goes on your, in your garden. This seems like a terrible idea, but what bothers me is I'm afraid consumers don't understand that the cloud is even involved, right? Like, do people realize that this recording device that you just, you basically handed your child a wiretap. Yes. Well, no, a wireless tap. Like, a, you know, if you think 30 years ago, this would have been the, the most amazing super secret spy tool you could possibly get. So without picking on the owners of these, right, the, the issue here, of course, is that, as we've heard so many times in the past, the company operating the service didn't secure it properly, you know, gigabytes close to my understanding, a terabyte of data uh, was stored insecurely in a database with no password at all. The passwords appear to have been at least uh, hashed properly, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that they're now out there along with unencrypted recordings that may have been left between the users of this and children, which is more than a bit creepy. Collecting the messages and making them part of a giant database that could be used for cool stuff in the future. That seems to be the, the way that cloud services work these days, isn't it? It's not just about the messaging. It's about trying to monetize the stuff that was inside the message, as we do with email. And of course, in this case, it's not like reading somebody's email. It's recordings of your kids saying stuff, personal stuff, family stuff. As you say, very creepy indeed. I'm starting to think that product packaging needs to tell you what data is collected and who's collecting it. Uh, you know, this product requires the cloud. It sounds like the company behind this product, Spiral Toys, is on the verge of bankruptcy, which means the product potentially would just stop working when that were to happen. So that's one thing, right? I buy a product and I don't know whether that product's going to work three months from now because the company that sold it to me might fail. Um, that's one requirement I want to be aware of. Two, what information is being collected by something, especially like a toy, and who owns that data and where is it stored? Uh, does that data go to a Google Drive? Does it go to a Dropbox? Does it go to an Amazon cloud? Does it go to some random company in, in Botswana? I mean, I don't really know where it's going, and it seems like we're getting to a point now where maybe this is a role that some regulation might actually be a positive, right? I'm not, a, I'm not convinced that regulation can fix security vulnerabilities in products, but we do have this amazing lack of uh, information to make a well-informed decision about choices we're making. Does my, do my mom and dad, when they just buy this cool speaker that they could just ask it to play a song they like and it does it, do they know uh, what's happening there? Do they know who their information is being shared with and how it's monetized? I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that we can't tell. Voice recognition still requires huge amounts of CPU power, huge amounts of data to compare to, huge amounts of memory. And it's not being done in the device. To do any kind of voice recognition, somebody else is doing it. They're doing it somewhere else. And while they're about it, you know, for all you know, they're keeping that data and they're using it either to train 
future voice recognition to be better, which you can understand. And maybe they delete the files after a while. Maybe they don't. It can be quite hard to find all that stuff out, can't it? Along the lines of this, it's reminding me of our last story. So I'm going to mix them together a little bit because the last story we were going to talk about is how Google has artfully hid the ability to determine what certificate is being presented to you in the Chrome web browser so that you, again, uh, have difficulty making a good decision about whether a site actually may be secure or not. And isn't that just more of the same thing? Are we going the wrong direction here? Like this toy clearly, uh, from my understanding, looking at the advertising and packaging that I've seen for it, did not make it clear that it was a wiretap for your child that was going to some third-party servers that would be uh, you know, not secured properly and uh, so on and so on. Uh, Google makes a lot of claims to be trying to advance security, whether we like it or not. You mentioned earlier that they're no longer accepting SHA-1 signatures on TLS certificates. With one hand, they're trying to advance us, and it seems like with the other hand, they taketh away. I mean, if you're a Chrome user and you click on the little green padlock in the Chrome browser, you will not find information about the certificate the way you have in web browsers going all the way back to, I believe, Mosaic. No, no. You, you you need to go to the four dot configuration menu on the right and then choose tools and then choose more tools and then choose developer tools and then scroll further to the right, depending on the resolution of your screen to find the security tab to click view certificate. And if you view certificates as often as I do, that reason right there would be the first reason you'd stop using Chrome. Now, um, I already was not a Chrome user. I've mentioned many times on the chat chat that I'm a Firefox user, but if I were a Chrome user, that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back right there because you can't really stay back versions. You can't go, I'm going to stay on Chrome 51 because it doesn't behave that way. Uh, Security-wise, that would be foolish. And two, it's just not the way Chrome is designed to work. So uh, what are they thinking? So I did exactly what I would do in Firefox. I went to Naked Security. There's a thing that says Sophos Limited in green. I clicked on it and it says secure connection and underneath there's tiny writing there's a thing that says learn more. So obviously okay it's another click away and then I clicked on that and then I got to some generic Google support page which was telling me amongst other things about some outage in Google accounts. I don't have a Google account so that's not relevant to my secure connection. And then you helpfully told me no you got to go and click the four dots and then as you say go through three other menus or something. Then I found that security tab that you mentioned in in the developer tools, like only a developer needs to check a certificate. And then when I, of course, then when I clicked on the security tab, I got information about the certificate of the Google help page that I'd gone to. (laughs) Yeah, as you say, what were they thinking? Why try and make a simple thing 10 times more complicated when you could have actually made it even simpler still? so that people are more likely to use it, more likely to understand it, more likely to adapt their digital life so that they can take into account useful security information. Why is it that standards bodies like the W3C or the Internet Society or whomever can't get the browser companies to come together and go, here's one unified way of presenting information about the authenticity of a connection And we're always going to use the same colored thing in the same spot in the screen and the same wording and messaging that's clear for individuals to understand and not confusing and requiring a degree in cryptographic studies and uh, and kind of force it down everyone's throat. I mean, Google seems to want to force uh, other security standards down our throat. And maybe it's time we stand up and say enough is enough. Uh, You know, to, to, to be a web browser today, you need to be able to provide information conveniently, concisely and in it 
easy to understand fashion and you shouldn't be burying information that's super important for users to make decisions about their safety online. It's a good job neither of us feels really strongly about it though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I and I I have always had sympathy for the people over at Snake Oil Inc because uh, you know, maybe they really do trust that certificate authority and all these years we've been telling them that it's not uh, not trustworthy. Nonetheless, that concludes Sofa Security Chat Chat 259. As always, for all of the latest security news, we invite you to come to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you like this podcast and want to listen to our other podcasts, you can subscribe to our RSS feed. You can get our podcasts over on iTunes, on the TuneIn app. Pretty much everywhere fine podcasts are found, including soundcloud.com slash sofasecurity. And until next time, stay secure.